This is Longview Living, the podcast that guides physicians and dentists on a path towards financial security. Welcome to the Longview Living Podcast. My name is Bonnie Catherine Prather, and I couldn't be more thrilled because today we are launching our podcast. Our plan is to discuss the core of who we are and what we hope to do. And to do this, I am joined by John Prather. For those of you listening, I'll start with a slight personal plug. John is my dad. He has a wonderful wife, Romina, five children, of which I'm the middle child. He's got two daughters-in-law and two beautiful granddaughters. On the professional side, John is one of the founding partners at Longview Planning Partners. He has been in the financial services industry for over 30 years. He started his business working with residents in Memphis, Tennessee, and now works with physicians and dentists across the country. John, as you know, this podcast has been a dream of ours, and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as our first guest to create what we hope to be a valuable resource. So if you're ready, let's get started. So the core of our business is financial planning. I would love to start by getting your point of view on why you think having a financial plan is so important. Well, uh, I suppose I could answer that question a few different ways, but um, probably what stands out the most for me is the people that a financial plan impacts. So obviously having a plan that helps you build wealth and attain, attain some level of economic security you know, impacts you, but beyond that, it's a lar- it has a large impact upon those around you. So your children, for example, if you have them, are directly impacted by you know, the state of your finances, how they're educated, how much debt they carry into adulthood, those sorts of things. Your parents be another thing, uh, maybe another example in some circumstances, your ability to help them with their needs as they age can be dependent upon your own financial plan and resources. Uh, thirdly, then, you know, beyond your children, your community can be affected as well. Um, how you manage your money, your ability to give to the organizations and causes that are uh, that you care about. And then obviously, um, your spouse uh, is usually central in a financial plan and will be affected directly. So really, it's it's not just about us as individuals, but the importance of a plan extends to all those people and organizations that, that we care about most about. So, and then I'd say another angle to speak to the question of importance is to consider the different ways the benefits of a financial plan affect our overall lives. You know, obviously it affects a person financially, but beyond that, I believe having peace of mind around our finances also reduces stress and anxiety in our lives. So, you know, a plan that orders our financial lives can bring proper perspective and you know, allow a person more freedom to spend their time and energy on other things they might enjoy. You know, and if we're a little less stressed about our finances, we may not, you know, only enjoy life more, but be more present and and enjoyable to be around. So our friends and family may enjoy their life just a little bit more as well. Um, So that may not be the answer you expected exactly, but hopefully that gives you a, you know, slightly broader perspective. Absolutely. And you know what, as your daughter, I really value the gift of education I received and the peace of mind I know our family had because you took the time to implement a financial plan. Um, Also, that being said, I know you work 
primarily with physicians and dentists. And so in that realm, is there anything specific to physicians and dentists that you feel like financial planning can assist with? Yeah. So, you know, in some ways, um, physicians are no different than, you know, attorneys or bankers or, you know, you know, anybody else, really, they're people and, uh, you know, striving to reach their goals or whatever. Um, but there are some things that, you know, come to mind uh, that make them somewhat unique, uh, at least in sort of how they get compensated. Um, you know, if you think of the world in to um, or sort of separate the world into two groups, um, one, the first being, you know, wealth creators, you know, and so um, people that own a business, as an example. So they would be wealth creators because, you know, while that business hopefully generates a profit and kicks off income to them so that they can enjoy their lifestyle and, and, uh, and accumulate um, over time, uh, they, uh, their pot of gold at the ra- end of the rainbow though, is, is the idea of, you know, the great American dream and, and selling that business one day. So along the way, over their lives of running the business, they're building entity value so that one day, you know, they can sell that business uh, and, and take that nest egg and, you know, retire to the golf course or the beach or whatever. Um, and so that's sort of the great American dream. And on the flip side, the other group being wealth accumulators, which physicians would fit into, uh, into that category, I think um, they really don't have that ability to build a whole lot of entity value. We have seen in recent years some activity around, um, you know, private equity coming in and buying physician practices or hospitals buying physician practices and that sort of thing. Um, but, but you know, for the in large part and in general terms, there's not a great entity value built around a physician practice. And so a physician um, has to get their pot of gold at the re- end of the rainbow, sort of one paycheck at a time. So their, you know, their goal is to be able to, um, you know, operate their household uh, to a profit to where they're spending less than they make and taking that delta, that difference, and investing it and saving it towards their goals, so that one day they can accumulate uh, their pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So in that sense. Um, you know, it's incumbent on physicians to really be very intentional, you know, and to really operate their financial plan or their financial household to a profit and, and be able to accumulate um, to reach their goals. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I would think that being deliberate or purposeful with income doesn't come naturally to some. Um, and, you know, also, while I know we're trying to change this one program at a time, I would probably venture to guess that most medical programs don't include training related to intentional financial planning. Yeah, I think that's true, unfortunately. Right. And we do hope to change that. But that being said, examples are always helpful to understand potential outcomes. Could you maybe share with us what it looks like when someone does not plan well? Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I have an example that comes to mind immediately, actually, when you ask that. Um, Lewis Holmes, my business partner in Tupelo, Mississippi, shared uh, with me an encounter he had years ago with a physician in his community uh, that was in his early 60s, I believe. And uh, Lewis had called on him to see if they, you know, if they'd be interested in going through the financial planning process. And he agreed, you know, it was time for he and his wife to do that. So Lewis was 
in what we call discovery meeting with this man and his wife, you know, trying to learn about their current situation, their goals, their objectives, income, assets, etc. And after listening to the couple share their goals and dreams around retirement, Lewis began asking about what savings and retirement investments they currently had already accumulated. Lewis said, you know, the man grew real quiet suddenly. And, uh, and then Lewis, as he looked across the table at him, he could see the tears forming in the man's eyes. And right there in the meeting, began to weep. Uh, and he shared with Lewis uh, and to his wife how saving for retirement was always something that he was going to do next. And, but it never happened. You know, there was always some other financial commitment that got in the way. And, you know, what makes this story worse is that uh, this was the first time he ever shared the situation with his wife. You know, they had never talked about retirement funds, and she just assumed that he had it all taken care of. You know, and there are multitudes of people in this country with no, you know, with no or inadequate retirement savings at no fault of their own. Their income maybe never rose to the level of having any investable surplus, but in this example, it wasn't from lack of income. The doctor made a very nice income throughout his career. Uh, instead, though, it was from lack of planning, you know, not slowing down long enough to prioritize and plan for his future. You know, and that's a, I guess, rather drastic example in the sense is this particular man had, you know, not done a thing in the way of retirement savings. But more commonly, what we see play out in maybe a less drastic in a way, is that in the, in the medical professional market we serve, you know, we encounter people who think they're in good shape, you know, because they're maxing out their 401k plan, as an example, you know, every year. So maybe, you know, let's just say they make $500,000 annually and they take home $30,000 a month after taxes and after a, you know, $1,700 a month 401k contribution, you know, they spend the rest of their lifestyle or they spend the rest on their lifestyle, really, houses, cars, second home, et cetera. And then they expect their 401k plan to take care of them one day in retirement. You know, but in, that's not realistic. You know, that amount of savings will not likely grow to be a big enough nest egg to sustain their lifestyle they've grown accustomed to living on over a retirement that may last 25 or 30 years. And so the bottom line is that a lot of people are under saving and just don't know it. You know, fast forward them to the age of our doctor in my early example, and they may be in for a rude awakening, you know, after it's too late as well. So, the, you know, the f fact is most of us, you know, we live in a tug of war you know, between enjoying today and saving for tomorrow. We all had to find our balance in that tension. You know, if we focus too much on enjoying today, we forget about the future, we can end up like the doctor in my example, but I've seen people on the other end of the spectrum as well. You know, they're so anxious and scared about the future that they become hyper-focused on saving and they don't allow themselves to, or those around them, frankly, uh, to enjoy today. And that's sad as well, because, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. So, you know, I believe that financial, the financial planning process is critical in helping people find that healthy balance, you know, that we all seek. Yeah, well, um, you know, my first reaction to that is to want to go put all of my money into retirement savings, but I know that is not the answer. And I really love your point that financial planning is about finding the balance between enjoying today and saving for tomorrow, which isn't easy. And 
I've seen firsthand that having a financial plan is one of the most effective ways to find that balance. And so on the flip side of the example you just shared, do you have any examples of what it looks like when somebody does plan well? Yeah. So, you know, I think a successful financial plan, uh, you know, can best be measured by, you know, the achievement of that client's specific goals. Uh, And in that way, success may not be achieving a specific rate of return on an investment, um, but rather achieving a desired outcome. You know, for example, retiring at a specific age at a targeted income level. Um, so I would say in most cases, you know, those goals, clients' goals are focused in three different areas. So accumulation would be one, uh, security would be two, and what I'll call legacy will be three. So a plan well done um, will have successfully addressed all three. And to be more specific in the accumulation area, for example, most clients want to accumulate enough wealth to educate their children and retire one day. So from my perspective as an advisor, I want my client to be able to say, we were able to retire at our target age and our desired lifestyle with a high degree of confidence, confidence that we would never outlive our financial resources despite inflation and taxes and all the headwinds that we faced. And then secondly, I'd like them to be able to say we're able to educate our children and possibly grandchildren at the institution of their choice without the ongoing burden of student loan debt. So then, you know, from a security perspective, people's financial security goals are typically focused on peace of mind and protection. You know, with these, I want my clients to say things, you know, to say basically three things. Number one, whenever I die, my family's financial lifestyle won't change. They'll be able to stay in their home and our retirement, you know, their retirement and education plans will continue on track. Secondly, the same is true should I become disabled. My family's financial lifestyle will not change. We'll be able to stay in our home and our retirement education plans will continue on track. And then thirdly, when my parents needed me, we were able to help support them in a meaningful way without taking our, uh, our family's financial plan off track. Despite fulfilling that commitment, we never became a financial burden to our children, to our children, even if either of us had some point, at some point required outside long-term nursing care. So those are the sort of the three security goals. And then lastly, people's legacy goals are more about making a current and future impact on the people or organizations they care about. So with these, I want my clients to be able to confidently say, even while sustaining our retirement lifestyle, our investment assets will continue to grow over time, allowing us to cheerfully give to the charities and community organizations we care about while also funding meaningful legacies to our succeeding generations. You know, so if my clients can make those statements, I would say they've planned successfully. And, you know, the only thing I'll add references to what I said, uh, you know, in answering your earlier question, in planning, we can't lose sight of the big picture. You know, financial planning well done is not just about becoming wealthy or managing wealth to become even wealthier still. It's really about finding security and some level of balance where you can enjoy today, you know, while also having confidence in your tomorrow. Yes, and I 
I know we somewhat said it before, but I think it's worth reiterating. What I hear you saying is that a financial plan helps us keep the bigger picture in mind. And really, that is so important when we are trying to steward our money well. But as I think about financial planning and really the how of how we plan for our finances, what I hear so often these days that I would love for you to speak into is, can I just do it myself? Why do I need to outsource this to a financial advisor? Yeah, and I, I would say very frankly, yes. You know, you know, many people can do it themselves. Uh, you know, there's lots of great tools available online and you can read blogs, study books and do all your own research. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something somebody can do. Uh, but my caution to those sort of tempted by that path is that the stakes are high. You know, a lot depends on you doing it well, you know, and like we said earlier, quite a few important people are depending on you to do it well. So really maybe the better question is not, can you do it yourself, but will you do it yourself? You know, do you have the time to devote to it consistently? Do you have the knowledge or mind to understand it? Uh, do you have the interest in it? Or would you rather be spending your energy on something else? You know, there's some evidence to suggest doing it yourself doesn't work out well for, for many people anyway, you know, uh, really most people. One uh, is, you know, one example is the household savings rate number. Uh, you know, in the simplest of terms, this measures the percentage of a person's household income that gets saved or invested in a given year. And when you see that on a graph over 60, the last 60 years, you see a real trend. And, you know, it does fluctuate each year based on various factors. But the general trend over the last 35 years is downward. You know, during the 1960s, 70s, and, you know, up to about 1985, I think the figure stayed above 10%. So people were, you know, American household the average American household saved on average uh, about 10% of its income. But since 1985, that figure has stayed significantly below the 10% figure and reached a low, I think in the early 2000s, you know, below two and a half percent. So, you know, I understand there's a lot of factors that play into that savings rate, but I do believe one of those factors is that we as a culture have developed a general proclivity to spend instead of to save. So, you know, without some consistent intentionality, we'll, grab, we'll gravitate towards, you know, under saving. You know, another interesting study uh, was done by Dalbar, and it's um, somewhat um, often talked about in our industry, but it looks at the success of individuals who do invest money. Um, the study looks at the rate of return individual investors achieve as compared to the returns of the actual funds they invest in. So essentially, it's a study that attempts to measure investor behavior versus investment behavior. And because, you know, basically what they're doing is they're, they're reviewing mutual fund inflows and outflows, and they can calculate based on that the return of the average investor, and then they compare it to the return of the mutual fund itself uh, or an index. So, you know, what the results of that study annually um, shows is that the average investor underperforms the index by more than 3% per year over a 30 year period. And, you know, because of how much, because of how that re research was conducted, you know, most attribute the underperformance to investor behavior. In other words, pulling out of the market, um, you know, after the markets fluctuate downward and putting their money 
back in after the market markets have risen, which is just the opposite of what you're taught in finance 101, right? Buy low, sell high. They're buying high and selling low. Uh, you know, and now that study doesn't differentiate between advised investor uh, and the do-it-yourselfer, but it does tell us that the invest investor behavior is a huge factor in investment success. And it's not easy to successfully stay the course and manage your emotions through many of the ups and downs in the market. And I believe, you know, a third party advisor can help uh, an individual improve their decision making, if you will, more successfully than, you know, going it alone. So. Yeah, that's really such good information. And it makes me want to hire an advisor or for me, keep the one I have. But for our listeners, you know, if I decide to hire an advisor, what should I expect or more specifically, what value should I expect them to bring? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, and before I answer that directly, let me let me first just acknowledge that an advisor must bring value, right? In other words, there is a cost to doing business with an advisor. And different advisors have different business models and charge different fees. But for ease of making my point, let's just say the amount um, – you know, you pay them equates to 1% of the amount of money you have under advisement with them. So for them to be worth it, quote unquote, you have to have benefit in some way or ways that's equal or more than that amount, more than that 1%. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, all translate into dollars and cents. In other words, maybe it's of significant value to you to enjoy the peace of mind that working with a third party advisor brings to you, you know, so it's more of a peace of mind value. Uh, maybe you know yourself well enough to know you wouldn't plan at all if you didn't have someone encouraging you to do so. And Or maybe you have zero interest in all things money and just want someone you trust to handle it all for you. So, you know, but whatever it is, the benefit the process brings should be known to you and be worth the fees you're paying. <laughs> now, having said all that, Excuse me. Let me suggest a few, uh, you know, ways an advisor can bring value to you. First is accountability. Uh, there was a study done by Dr. Gail Matthews, who's a Harvard professor, uh, and a book was written about the study around achieving your goals. So, in it, a study was referenced that says that simply writing down your goals increases the likelihood of achieving your goals by forty-two percent. And then further, sharing your goals and reporting your progress towards those goals to another person increases your success probability by 76%. So translate this to your financial goals. You know, doesn't a written financial plan with an ongoing advisor relationship provide you with a much higher likelihood of achieving those successful outcomes? So, you know, a financial advisor serves as that third party sort of accountability, if you will, um, and increases the chances, according to that study, of, of you reaching those goals. And then another way an advisor brings value is through, you know, the investment investment management process. You know, this is the one thing, you know, that's probably most talked about. You know, can my advisor bring me a better rate of return? You know, is a question asked a lot. You know, well, you know, a number of research firms, including Vanguard, Morningstar, InvestNet, they've all done studies to try to quantify what, an advisor brings to the investment management, um, you know, uh, relationship. So the, you know, it's, it's pretty consistent results on these separate independent studies. 
You know, they all suggest that overall value an advisor can bring adds up to somewhere around 3% of increased investment return. And the studies identify a number of services that contribute to that 3% value. You know, without going into detail, really, on any of them, uh, they include asset allocation, investment selection, portfolio rebalancing, managing investment behavior, tax management, cash flow management, and spending strategies. So, you know, all those things can contribute to increased success and really should be part of the process that an advisor brings um, in, in, in the way of value proposition. Yeah, that's, that is so helpful. But I will add that, you know, when I do a quick Google search, I'm inundated with information and it can be really overwhelming. So, you know, what are some concrete suggestions you have for our listeners to consider when they may be interviewing advisors or speaking to different advisors? Yeah, so I I guess I would probably break that into four areas. You know, the first one is trust. You know, finding someone you trust is obviously foundational and crucial to a successful relationship. You know, but trust is earned, right? You know, it's not just handed out blindly. So, you know, how do you find someone you can trust? You know, my suggestion would be to find someone who has been trustworthy uh, with other people that you know. And in other words, ask your friends in similar situations as yourself who they've trusted successfully over a meaningful period of time. You know, sometimes it's called getting a referral. I like to call it, you know, borrowing the trust of others. You know, and then I would say the second thing to consider is their qualifications. You know, it can be boiled down to education, credentials, and experience. You know, what's their educational background? Uh, you know, have they earned any industry-related designations, such as a certified financial planner, um, CFA, a CHFC, MSFS, to name a few of them? Um, how long they've been in the business? And does their clientele have the same profile and needs as you? You know, if you're a business owner, find someone who has a track record of meeting the needs of other business owners. If you're a physician, find someone who's experienced working with other physicians. And then the third thing is standard. You know, what's the standard of care set by the advisor? Do they operate under a fiduciary standard, you know, to act in the best interest of their clients? You know, generally speaking, it's better for you if they do. So, you know, a fiduciary standard is uh, is an important sort of threshold of care. And then, you know, lastly and fourthly, what's their process? Make sure that anyone you work with can clearly articulate the process they'll take you through. If they're all about a particular product, an investment product or an insurance product, for example, I would say be cautious. You know, a comprehensive financial plan is a process initially and ongoing. You know, make sure that, you know, that's what you'll receive. Sometimes if you have a particular need, that must be immediately addressed. You know, you want to open up in a Roth IRA, for example. The relationship can start that way, but make sure you eventually end up with a comprehensive plan, you know, with someone who's well-equipped, you know, to be your advisor. And then actually, let me throw in a fifth point, you know, geography. You know, before the internet and even more so before Zoom and COVID, um, it was harder to manage a long-distance client-advisor relationship. You know, from our perspective, you know, in those days, you were somewhat limited to finding an advisor in your local community. Um, now, 
though we live in a Zoom world, right? And uh, many of our clients, for example, want to meet with me via Zoom, even if they live 10 minutes down the street from the office. You know, so it doesn't really matter then if where your advisor lives, um, whether it's on the same street or in the same city or in the same state. That's a good thing uh, to keep in mind as you talk to friends who might refer you. It just doesn't have to be someone that you go to church with or someone's in your local community. Um, you know, the you know, the whole map is your uh, your oyster, if you will, in, uh, in finding an advisor. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful. Absolutely. It's so helpful to hear you really articulate not only what value an advisor can have, but what to look for when looking for an advisor. Um, and, you know, I'm just so grateful you took the time to join us on this podcast. I always appreciate hearing your point of view and advice, and I know our listeners have too. And so just thank you. And we look forward to the next time we get to have you on the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate um, this and uh, it was fun for me as well. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to the Longview Living Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and benefited from the information we shared. Your time and attention on a regular basis are a gift. As always, you can head over to longviewplan.com to sign up to receive our newsletter, as well as check out all the resources on our page. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.